0: We've been going through this series, but I've uh, called uh, A Gospel Centered Life. And uh, before we, we get into that, let's see the first. This is going to be an impromptu, very informal kind of, uh, kind of deal because we haven't rehearsed the slides. So let's go to the, fir- the next one. i got to give you a uh, couple of quick notes. Uh, first, a reminder since God's Word is living and active, Uh, and the Spirit guides us into all truth, as we dig into this this hill of uh, God's Word, I'm going to find some things that really speak to me, that the Spirit speaks to me about, but they may may not be the same thing the Spirit is speaking to you about. So all I'm saying is just be sensitive what the Lord is saying to you personally, okay? Secondly, a warning. Let's go to the next one. God uh, is majestic. His message is majestic. He is incredibly holy. Uh, all of creation, though fallen, is still majestic. And when he speaks, it's, it's like a symphony, like Beethoven's Fifth times infinity. Or a hundred infinities, as a kid would say, it's still infinity. It's that, it's that majestic. So as I'm digging into this repentance, let's go to the next one. After about three weeks of study, this is what I'm getting. And, and it's just a mess. So finally, after I get closer and closer to the end of the study, let's go to the next one. I finally have an understanding. I, I know four notes. You know, the da, 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 da. That's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> this big, majestic God's message, and I got four notes. So there's a warning, OK, reminder. Let God uh, speak to you personally. And then, a, and then a warning. That's what you're in for. So let's talk about this uh, gospel center life a little bit. Next one. <clears throat> so just a quick review. Uh, yeah, let's go ahead to the gospel grid. There you go. John started it. Pastor John started it. And after the spiritual birth, there's this growing awareness of God's holiness going up to the top and a growing awareness of, of our... Uh, flesh and our sinfulness. And he noticed, noted some uh, healthy characteristics. Uh, humility, not being puffed up with pride. Receptivity, free to let the Holy Spirit uh, teach us. Gratitude, love, spontaneity, humor. Humor, I'm thankful that you, spent, that you mentioned humor. Uh, and this whole series has kind of been a checkup. Uh, are we a healthy gospel-centered church or a, a healthy gospel-centered people? And then Adam explained, hey, we can, we can sometimes shrink the cross. <clears throat> sometimes we can pretend that we're a good person and then also try to perform to earn God's uh, acceptance, rather than simply resting in what God's already done, what Christ has already done on the cross. There's nothing more that we can do beyond what Christ has already done on the cross. OK. And then Jerry, got to love Jerry. Jerry, we miss you. I know he's home and he's in a lot of pain. Uh, and he goes to the doctor uh, tomorrow, hopefully they can give him some pain relief. So remember Jerry Flanagan uh, in your prayers. But he walked through what the, the gospels really like. God uh, through Jesus' death on the cross paid for our sins before we were even born. I think that was, in fact, I was thinking, don't we need to move that cross maybe over there? Isn't that where Jerry put the, put the cross way back when? And then also, God credited uh, credited Jesus' righteousness to us. So our debt was paid, and then so we weren't just uh, level. We were above level. We we had the righteousness of Christ. So Jerry walked us through all that, and we also learned that maybe dancing was the unpardonable sin. We're not sure. He's still still unsure of that. And then John last week explained uh, the difference between law and gospel. Law requires us to do something and we were kind of had our let's just kind of be on the lookout when when we're trying to follow a rule and the gospel tells us something's already been done god's already grace has been poured out so let's live in in the gospel let's live in grace okay so the next piece of the puzzle is orvelina i told marcia we're going to be talking about orvelina she said what I said, we're going to talk about Orvelina. She says, who? Orvelina. I've never heard of Orvelina. Good, that's why I named her Orvelina. How does repentance figure in to this gospel-centered life? And so let's start with this lady. This lady uh, has never had the gospel preached to her. Uh, She's not a psychopath, and she's not an atheist. She's just a normal person, uh, but she doesn't know God. And this is just Orvelina. It's not anybody in particular. But Orvelina thinks to herself, she starts off thinking to herself, hey, I'm okay. I'm not great, but I'm not too bad. Uh, And God, if there is one, I mean, he's better than me. In fact, he's the top of the good, right? Of course, God's already said, hey, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. So but she doesn't know that. She's never heard the truth. So let's look at a few events in her life. Orvalina moves away from home. Life and work aren't fun. Friends are hard to come by. Not much hope for things changing. And late at night, she's alone in her apartment. Emotions begin to get the best of her. And Orvalina thinks to herself, oh, no one cares about me. Therefore, I must not be as good as I really think I am. And even God, if there is one, doesn't seem to care. Therefore, God must not be as good as I thought He was. Pride, pride, uh, tends to puff us up. Humility, of course, tends to bring us a little bit lower. <clears throat> and poor Orvalina, if anybody, if somebody had just shared the gospel to her, I remember um, being on the board of directors about 30 years ago. I was, uh, a place called Samaritan Inn. It was a homeless shelter back in uh, north of Dallas. And one of the board members had said, hey, listen, you cannot witness to anybody of these these folks because they're too downtrodden uh, because they might just accept Christ. Okay, and it just frustrated the stew out of me because, I mean, tracks, you can have tracks, but you can't initiate a kind of conversation. I didn't spend a long time there. But God definitely uh, brings us low to get our attention. But then a couple of good things happened to her. Let's go to the next slide. She finds that special someone and gets engaged. Her boss thinks she's doing a great job, and she gets a promotion. Yay for Orvelina. So Orvelina thinks to herself, someone cares about me, therefore, I must be okay after all. My boss thinks I'm good, therefore, I must be even better than I thought. And God, if there is one, hmm, must be better than I thought after all. Okay, so we see the progression here as she goes, God goes, right? Let's go to the next one. Many years later, after she's happily married, no kids yet, the wheels fall off the bus and her mother-in-law moves in with them. Apologies. I mean, everybody's different, right? People are different. Mileage may vary. So Orvalina thinks to herself, this is my payback for some sin in my life. Therefore, I must be worse than I thought. And God, if there is one, must hate me. Therefore, he's clearly not very good. Right. Orvelina's now very unhappy. Next slide. But then Orvelina realizes, hey, wait a minute, I'm doing a good thing here. I'm enduring this hardship. Now, I'm not saying mother-in-laws are hardships, okay? I'm just saying in this particular case, that's what she's thinking. Therefore, I must be better than I thought, right? But God, if there is one, he's still cruel. Therefore, he's still not very good. Again, she's not She's not saved. She's never heard the gospel, right? Years go by. Let's go to the next slide. And then the worst thing imaginable happens, and she becomes seriously ill. So Orvalina thinks to herself, oh, bad stuff keeps happening to me. She researches every possible cure, no luck. She uh, realizes then, I can't heal myself. I literally have no power to control anything. Therefore, I'm not as good. I must be worse than I thought. And God, if there is one, really doesn't care about me. Therefore, he's definitely not good, so, and on her life goes, right? All right, at least for Orvelina, who hasn't heard the gospel, yeah, life is centered around her. Circumstances greatly impact how she views herself and God, right? During times of prosperity, when her pride grows, and God, if there is one, uh, is good, uh, during times of adversity, when uh, her humility grows uh, and she understands that hey, I control very little, okay, God is not so good. And she, she, since she doesn't hear anything about the gospel, and doesn't read anything about the gospel, and doesn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide her into truth, uh, there's no growing awareness of God's holiness, and there's no growing awareness awareness of her flesh and her sinfulness. So, so everything tracks. That's not the gospel grid that we've been talking about already. So, in an unsaved, that's what it looks like. All right. Furthermore, right and wrong is relative. After all, she's okay. She's not great, but she's not terrible either. So, when she repents of things, uh, repents of something, she may think uh, uh, that she thinks is bad. It's not biblical repentance. It's a counterfeit repentance, and I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, for example. Uh, Orvelina may say to one of her close friends, "Honestly, Broomhilda, you eat like a horse." And then there's an uncomfortable silence. And then Broomhilda kind of raises her head from the, the trough. And then Orvelina reacts in a couple ways. <clears throat> and these are a couple these are some things we really really need to think about ourselves too to make sure that this isn't happening in our case as well for counterfeit repentance. This is not biblical repentance. So she may have some remorse and say something like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Will you forgive me? Or I was just kidding. Can't you take a joke? Or, you know, that's just who I am, you know? Sorry about that. Or, and then she may also uh, resolve not to do it again and say to herself, I can't believe I said that. That's not really who I am. And I've got to stop doing that, right? Counterfeit repentance, not biblical repentance. If you're catch yourself doing some of this stuff, not biblical repentance. So if we were to characterize counterfeit repentance, life without the gospel, it's a repentance that's oriented toward me. Basically, I want to feel better. I want this bad feeling to go away. I want my friendship back the way it was. I don't like this awkward situation I'm in. And then the motivation for repentance is purely selfish regret. Sigh, this is gonna be a problem for days now. It's going through our head, right? I really don't want to have to deal with this. Okay? So again, let's if if we're if this is something that we're gonna if that we encounter, and the depth of repentance. Is merely external actions, primarily primarily words. I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Uh, we'll feel bad for a while, but we'll get over it. If it's really bad, we may even buy our friend lunch. Okay. And repentance that relies uh, a repentance also that relies on our own strength. I've got I got myself into this. I'm going to have to get myself out of it. I'm going to put on my big girl britches and 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 deal with it. And honestly. Really, really, I mean, and why we're talking about it is we can be doing the same thing, right? So we can feel remorse. We can say, I'm sorry. We can resolve not to do it. And all that's going to lead to is is a lot of frustration. I'm going to try to be nice. I'm going to try to be humble. I'm going to try to please people, not offend people, da-da-da-da-da. And and it's just miserable. But that's not the uh, plan God has for us. So let's talk about biblical or godly repentance. I thought we would never get there, Dave. Okay, and the reason why I don't want to talk about this, and, and I, I spent a little, bit, a little bit more time than I really wanted to deep, deep diving into, into repentance, is I, I heard two radio programs in the last couple of weeks, pastors on the radio, and they were just talking about faith or believing, which was great, but nothing about repentance. And in fact, we talked about it a little bit in our, in our small group a couple of weeks ago. Uh, well, is repentance even how much of repentance is part of the equation kind of thing. So, okay, so the Spirit, as I was really, really struggling, okay, Lord, what do you really want to dive into this? Okay, so repentance is critical, critical uh, in God's kingdom. So let's look, John the Baptist's ministry, how does he start it? In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in Matthew 3, in the wilderness of Judea saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And then Jesus, in the start of his ministry, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So Jesus's message, just like John the Baptist's message, repent and believe the gospel. Those were the two big things, and believe is the verb, faith is a noun, right? Repentance and faith. Repentance in the Old Testament, go and take a look at that real quick. Repentance in the Old Testament was largely aimed at nations like the nation of Israel, and it was largely God repenting on whether He was going to bless or uh, 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 curse or what have you Israel. Not that God ever changes His mind, it's just that the situation changed, so therefore, the blessings and the curses change as well. But largely, it was aimed at, at a nation. In the New Testament, however, in all of, the, all of the instances of repent, minus two in Luke, they were always aimed at the individual. And it was always aimed at turn from sin. Okay? So let's take a look at, let's take a look at this word repent. And I really apologize that the font's so small. We're kind of in learning mode trying to figure this whole thing out. I am. This is my first time talking here, but it's a little harder to see. I was hoping it would be a little bit bigger. Repent and believe, Mark. <clears throat> so, just a quick. Have to go look at this. This repent. Uh, uh, Metaeio. It's a verb. Two words. Meta and noeo. Meta, when it's a prefix, always means after, and it implying some kind of change. Noeo means to perceive with the mind. Okay. So literally to perceive. Afterwards, or to think differently after a change of your mind. In the New Testament, like I said, always repenting from sin, with the exception of these two verses in, in, uh, in Luke. So in each of these two cases, uh, okay, this is going to get, that's okay. This is kind of like a, a shot you get from the doctor, and it hurts in the, in the beginning, but it, it starts to get better. So this is really bad right now. You guys are falling asleep. But that's okay, it's gonna get a whole lot better because it's gonna really make some sense. But the, <clears throat> the, the cases here, there's present tense, active voice, imperative mood. And John's talked about this several times, so don't freak out on me here. Active voice means active, you're gonna do it. Imperative, it's a command. But this present tense, right, implies in the Greek that there's some kind of continuing action, right? In the Greek, it's not just a one-time thing. So literally, it's I command you to continually repent or be repenting, right? <clears throat> and believe is the, same, is the same way, be believing. So really, it's, go to the next slide, you could translate it, be continually repenting and believing the gospel. So repentance, if nothing else, isn't a one-time event. The way Jesus uh, spoke it, and the way uh, John the Baptist spoke it, it was a continuing. It was it was implied that it was a continuous action. Okay, so that leads us to the first point. Biblical repentance is continual repentance, not a one-time event. Rather, it's a lifestyle. Biblical repentance is continual repentance. It's not a one-time event. It's a lifestyle. Okay, and that's. And interestingly, you know, the Spirit, the Spirit uh, like I said, kind of highlights verses and, and impresses upon things to you, and, and I, so I've got three points, and sadly, those three points are two weeks old. I've got more points now, for me personally, but I still just have three for you guys tonight. <laughs> so the gospel Center life is a life of repenting and believing, of course, right? The more we experience God's grace, the more we turn from sin— the more we understand the magnitude of the gospel, the more we humble ourselves before a holy God, right? The more we understand the magnitude of our sin, the more we magnify God for his grace. So the gospel grid really, really makes a lot of sense here. All right, let's dig a little bit deeper. Oh, please, no deeper. Day. Repentance and faith, they always begin at conversion. This is kind of where, we wanted to, where I really wanted to like a tender seed <clears throat> planted by God, and it grows, okay? So I hate to do this to you because this is Lewis Burkhoff. He's a theologian back in the nineteen, He's a dead guy. He, he, he wrote this book called Systematic Theology. He notes there's two sides to conversion. It, it'll get better because we're going to get into Ezekiel here in just a minute. <clears throat> Ezekiel, not Ezekiel. There's two, there's two sides to true conversion, active, done by God, passive, done by man. So let's go to true conversion. Yeah. Active conversion is the act, and I'll read this and then I'll interpret it. Active is is the act of God whereby he causes the regenerated sinner in his conscious life, that means his heart, to turn to him in repentance and faith. So God changes the conscious course of a man's life, literally just gives him a new heart. Okay, that's the active part. That's what God's doing. And the second part, passive conversion is resulting of this conscious act of the regenerated sinner whereby he, through the grace of God, turns to God in repentance and faith. And that just means God, a man changes his course. He repents and he walks in faith. Okay, so that was the shot. Okay, so now you got, you got that over with. The pain is done. Now it's just going to get a lot. And we'll even see Orvalina for a cameo appearance at the end, okay? Baptist faith and message. So, repentance and faith per this old guy, uh, Burkhoff, says repentance and faith are are a big deal. Baptist faith and message message, message, is our doctrinal position. That's our foundation, doctrinal statement. Regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace is a work of god's grace whereby believers become new creatures in christ jesus it's a change of heart wrought by the holy spirit through conviction of sin to which the sinner responds in repentance toward god and faith in the lord jesus christ repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of god's grace so god changes the heart Man responds with this new heart, a heart of flesh, we'll see here in a second, with repentance and faith. There is no, it's just I believe. Even demons believe, right? We, told, we, we know that from, from James, right? Okay, let's go to Ezekiel. The Old Testament is great commentary on the New Testament. <clears throat> and uh, I really love this first part. God outlines his plan for the nation. Like we said, repentance is all, all about nations. In the Old Testament, focused on people groups. In the New Testament, it, it's more individuals. Here's God, and, and this foreshadows a plan for, his individ, for the individuals in the New Testament, for believers. But uh, verse 23, Ezekiel 36, 23, I will, and this God speaking, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name. Which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. Now he's talking to the the nation of Israel. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Holiness, 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 holiness. All we spent, I prepared a 45 minute lecture kind of thing or teaching thing for the folks in Nepal that end up going an hour and a half. So I hope we're done by 10 tonight. So, and we talked about the, the high priestly par- prayer, John 17, where effectively God the Son is just talking to God the Father, and this is intimate conversation, and the first thing they're talking about is glory, God's glory, His glory, His holiness, His glory, everything. We are built to glorify God. And if you haven't figured that out yet in your Christian walk, oh, it's a, it's a good thing to figure out early. God's glory, my holiness, and my great name. Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you, uh, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. Now he's talking to the nation, right? You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's what he wants. I mean, and we'll see it at the very end with Orvalina and God. All he really wants in Revelation, right? He desires to be uh, our God, and he wants. us to be his people. So verse 31, after all that, after God changes our hearts or changes the heart of Israel in this case, then verse 31, then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. Okay, so I'm going to ruin this verse just for a minute. It's Christmas time, right? I will loathe, right? No, Grinch, sorry. When I read that, I was like, ah, oh, it's Christmas time. That's going to be bad. You will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. So God works in, in, in the nation of Israel. Israel, in turn, is going to see their sin, and they're, that's going to lead to godly sor- sorrow. They're going to repent. They're going to return back to God. And then all of the nations are going to see, oh, look at this. Their God is somebody, and God will then be, uh, his name will be glorified amongst them. So that's his plan, okay? Well, the same thing can be said kind of ourselves, too. Burkhoff, oh, another dead guy again, he wrote, uh, True conversion is born of godly sorrow and issues in a life of devotion to God, a change of thoughts and opinions, of desires and volitions, which involves the conviction that the former direction of life was unwise and wrong, and alters the entire course of life. Okay, so this is not scripture, it's just the guy, early 1900s. True conversion is born of godless, godly sor- uh, sorrow and issues in a life devotion to God. <clears throat> godly sorrow is beginning of, of repentance. And this tender seed that God's planted, this repentance becomes a tender plant, okay? And then the repentance soon grows into this full bloom glorifying the Lord, the one true God. So let's talk about Charles Spurgeon. Uh, yeah, let's go to the next one. This book, uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, would write out his sermons and he's, he's a guy, that, another dead guy back in the 1800s. And he wrote uh, about his conversion or his experience in his first early uh, answers to prayers and what, how that impacted him and how God really got a hold of him. He says, I can, dis- I, can distinctly, I can distinctly recollect, and this is great, I can distinctly recollect one of the first answers I ever had to prayer. And when I woke to the consciousness that God did really hear and answer my supplication, I tell you that I loathed sin. I could not bear to do anything to grieve a God who really listened to my cry. Then, when I was delivered out of great trouble and was enriched with very great mercy, I felt, how could I ever have been what I have been? How could I have ever lived as I have lived? Oh, that's pretty, that's pretty small. I'll read it for you. And when I found out that God would continue to visit me with his loving kindness as long as I lived and that I should be his favored child forever and ever, then did I hate sin more than I had ever done before. I was grieved and I cried out unto the Lord by reason of the bondage I had been under and I longed to be clean rid of every trace of sin. I do not know that I felt at such times any dread of hell. It was quite the reverse, but I hated, I hated sin because of God's love for me. And that, he says, is the way in which God brings repentance into the hearts of his children. He loves them so much and does so much for them that they cannot continue any longer in sin. It's God's great love compels us to repentance. And so that's the second point. Point two, biblical repentance is produced by godly sorrow and centered on God, not ourselves. And this one, this one took me a, a few. I mean, I understood it conceptually, but <clears throat> repentance is focused on the Lord, not me. Focused on God. Not me, let's explore that. Gospel demonstrates God's great love for us, his great mercy towards us, his son's great sacrifice for us, and compels us to repent. And not just a conversion, but every time we grieve him in sin, okay, well, that's that's a no-brainer, Dave. Okay, I've messed up, so I'm going to repent. But not just that. More importantly, almost... Every time we simply realize our sinful state, even as we're going through and we'll read a verse and we'll realize, wow, I mean, God is holy and I am not. That's repentance too. Instead of remorse and resolve, let's go to the next one. The true repentance causes us to, yeah, let's go to the next slide. True repentance causes us to realize, hey, I did do that, right? I did do that. This is who I really am like. There is nothing good in me except Jesus. And then also to repent and turn to God. And again, the focus, let's go to the next one. The focus, note the focus. Lord, I have sinned against you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, you are my only hope, Lord. So as we continue to live in the light of the gospel, and that's what we've kind of been talking about this whole time, how does this gospel affect us uh, and how does it impact us and now, how does repentance all work in this? But as we continue to live in the light of God's grace in this gospel, this kind of repentance where it's God-focused, Becomes more normal. It occurs more frequently. It comes uh, uh, more quickly. We stop being surprised by our sin. Uh, we more quickly agree with God uh, that we really desperately need a Savior. So let's uh, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, there's a you know this is the this is the example of repentance with a prodigal son, but and and. Everybody knows the story, but Jesus is eating with sinners, right? Pharisees and scribes are, uh, are, are complaining about him eating with sinners, so Jesus responds with these three parables, and we're only going to talk about one, to explain the joy when even one sinner repents and turns to the Lord, <clears throat> and one of them, of course, is prodigal son. So the son demands, hey, give me my part of the wealth, uh, and then he goes off to a, a far land, and he wastes everything, right? So we pick up into verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now here, God had really brought him low, right? This is Orvelina, right? I mean, he, he, needed, he needed just pods to eat the pigs pods so God has his attention so John and I were talking about this several weeks ago but um, God will get our attention and he wants us moldable moldable, pliable uh, quickly respond to the spirit's leading but we can get we can get kind of crusty we can get kind of hard to shape hard to mold uh, and if God's not able to mold us, He's going to go and put some some issues in our life to get our attention again. As we get harder and harder, crustier and crustier, it gets the situations can get harder and harder to get our attention, right? We just don't want to get so hard that He's got to smash it rather than mold it, right? So three verses tell the prodigal's repentance stories, verse 17. But when he came to himself in <clears throat> and the, and the NS, uh, New American Standard, which, like Jerry, I grew up with too in my spiritual life. When he came to his senses, but the ESV is a little more accurate. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? So he finally realizes, right? Now that we said... That's one of the key things, right? Realizing and repenting and true repentance, right? So he realizes, hey, ah, I did do that. That's who, I, that's, that's who I really am. And then verse 18, therefore I'm, I'll arise, I'll go to my Father and I'll say to him, Father, now, now look what he says. I have sinned against heaven and before you. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Note the object of his confession. It's all God-focused, right? Lord, I've sinned against you. Lord, please forgive me. Then verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's willing to accept the consequences, but now he's got this humble and contrite heart. The The clay is now moldable, right? God has him right where he wants him, and he can mold him. And verse 20, I love this uh, because you can can just see God doing this when, you know, one of your family members or whatever, you know, kind of finally returns and when the son was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran. And I like how the King James says, it says, the Father fell on his neck and kissed him. So you can just see God's just really waiting, 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 waiting. Uh, And that joy when one sinner repents. Biblical repentance produced by godly sorrow centered on God and not ourselves. All right. Let's look at one more passage <clears throat> uh, in 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul writes this harsh letter, and uh, you know, for some sin in the church, and the church ends up repenting. So he writes a subsequent letter, which we call Second Corinthians, to acknowledge their repentance. And so we pick up in Second Corinthians <clears throat> uh, seven, verse eight. And, and, and Paul writes to the church, he says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. No, wait a minute, I don't. Yeah, Paul, pick one. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief or a godly sorrow, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly in verse 10. So for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly, worldly uh grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, or what also but also what earnest uh, earnest eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment, at every point you proved yourself innocent in the matter you can you can hear the Paul's just look at what God has done in your life as a result of now you realizing your sin. <laughs> One, one commentator kind of amplified the verse, he says, an earnestness to obey and turn from sin, eagerness to clear themselves, an indignation over the sin, a fear of the consequences, if not corrected, a longing to turn from sin and obey God, a zeal to restore God's good name among them, a punishment, exacting justice, not, not revenge. So godly grief, this sorrow, produces this repentance Toward God, okay. On the other hand, worldly grief that just produces death, right? It's simply a selfish regret, and it typically drives us away from God. And then it 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 become we become vulnerable. We become vulnerable to 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 Satan's attack. Of course, there's a lot of examples uh, in Scripture. Uh, King Saul didn't obey God to completely destroy Amalek and and spared some animals instead when he went out and battled them, and speaking to the prophet Samuel, he says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, Samuel, right, before the elders of the people and before Israel, not, oh God, I have sinned. It's more, hey, I've sinned, Samuel, will you you honor me so I can kind of keep my power base? Old Testament, New Testament, there's Simon the magician, remember in Acts, book of Acts, offered Peter money. Uh, for power to lay hands on uh, people, so they can deliver the Holy Spirit, and Peter calls him out on it, <clears throat> and he replies, "Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. Pray for me to the Lord. It's just I don't want any of these bad things that you've said, Peter, to come upon me. Okay, me focus. That's all. That's all counterfeit, counterfeit uh, uh, repentance. Okay. Finally, the third point point three. So, we're at the end of the points. Biblical repentance looks to Jesus for deliverance from the, for the penalty and power of sin. Biblical repentance looks to Jesus for deliverance from the penalty and the power of sin. Okay. So, in the book of Acts, after God heals this lame beggar uh, through the disciples as they're walking up to the, to the temple... Peter proclaims Jesus, and he says to the people, uh, verse 19. Yeah, let's go to the next one, yeah. Therefore, because they're all freaking out, this, this beggar is, is leaping and, and dancing and carrying on, and, he, and they know full well that, hey, he, he's been a lame man since birth, right? Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you. Repent and return that He might send Jesus. These times are refreshing. So Christ not only wipes away our sins, Christ, the Spirit of Christ now dwells in us, right? So we, we're freed from the penalty of the sin because Christ paid for it, but now the Spirit, the Spirit lives in us, and so now we're freed from the power of sin. Okay, in Romans it says, you, however, are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. So, the Spirit of Christ sets us free from the cruel bondage of of sin, the sting of death, and the waiting judgment of God. The gospel places us into the kingdom as heirs, so that we're children of God, as kings with God's power as priests so that we intercede on the behalf of others, right? And as ambassadors with a mission to go and make disciples, right? So, okay, summing it up. What is biblical repentance? It's a repentance that's oriented toward God for you guys. You know, I'm sure you understood that loud and clear, but I had to be reminded of it. You know, Peter says, I'm going to stir you up in remembrance of some things. Well, I had to be stirred up in remembrance of these things. Repentance towards God. God's our object, then motivation for repentance is we dishonored God. We are grieved for offending God, for dishonoring God's name, for harming God's work among those we know for taking the gospel and Jesus's sacrifice too lightly. And then the depth of repentance. Counterfeit, it's, I'm sorry, it's all words, but in true repentance, it's of the heart. Clean, uh, created me a clean or a pure heart. Oh God, this is Psalm 51 and renew a right spirit in me, a clean or a pure heart, not a divided heart a heart that's wholly devoted to God. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his, right? God's just searching for a pure heart, a heart for him. And repentance also then relies on God's power. We're no longer slave to sins, and we're not resting in our own strength. We're resting in his strength. All right. So what would a Christian Orvelina look like? Well, that looks a little different. You can see her pride going up occasionally, but then God humbles her, and typically, you know, he gets a hold of her with some kind of verse or some Christian uh, brother or sister. Hey, that's not right. And she repents, and she gets a little bit humbler, a little bit humbler, or she may find out something about the Lord. And then her view of God... Good things happen. Wow, God is so gracious to me. And then when bad things happen, well, God can even use me. I mean, he can even use my marriage, you know, to to proclaim the gospel. Uh, I can even take care of my mother-in-law. And I'm a, that's an awesome responsibility. And all, I mean, God wants family to take care of widows. But then you see the bump up there on the top. God knows I can't handle this. I mean, there are times when our... Hey, God takes a, a dip, but we always come back and say, yeah, well, he can strengthen us. So that's a Christian. So the last question is, and then we're, we're done. Thank you, Dave. Why, why does God want us to continually repent? And the answer is, or at least that an answer is, because he abides With the humble and contrite of heart." That's what he wants. Isaiah 57, and this is probably one of my favorite verses. For thus says, the the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. And also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Let's go to that last picture. So God's maturing us. He's molding us into His image, and each time He's humbling us through this repentance. God hates pride because He's extremely humble. Just consider... God the Father, what did He do? He gave His Son to sinful people. How about God the Son? God the Son gave up His glory. And if you go read the first few verses of John 17, He talks about His glory. He gave up His glory and He lived among sinful people. God the Holy Spirit lives in sinful people. You talk about some humility. But God is humbling us so we can dwell with him. And the last tidbit. So, but God lives in this high and holy place. And it was it occurred to me this week. Well, yeah, with all these really, really humble people. They don't sit at the front of the desk. They always sit, you know, take the last seat, not the first seat, right? The greatest among you is going to be the least among you. The children, let the children come. Everybody that's humble. There's my There's my high and holy place with all these humble people down here, not some high and holy place. Dave's amplified version. So what do we take away from all this and we're done? True repentance, last thing, is continual. It's centered on God, and it looks to Jesus for deliverance from the penalty and power of sin.